everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk. With that, I want to invite up Lumi Nichols. She's going to be sharing the talk today. I'm very excited as we begin our new series based on The Chosen, season three. But really, it's just, I mean, it's it's a way to frame teachings on Jesus and his ministry. And so can I just pray for you, Lumi, before we get started? So come Holy Spirit. We ask that you would enliven the words that Lumi has prepared and will speak so that they land in our hearts and do what you want them to. So God, we ask you to be our teacher as we declare you to be our Lord and our King. Amen. Thanks, Lumi. We're reading in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? So um, these things dominate the the thoughts of the unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all of your secrets. Seek the, sorry, seek the kingdom of the God before all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. portion of scripture defines more vividly God's absolute for his followers as these three chapters, five, six, and seven of the gospel of Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount is probably the best known of Jesus's teachings, possibly the least understood, and certainly the least lived out. It is known as the Christian Manifesto because it expresses more than any other part of Scripture the central teachings and principles and truths of Christianity. And uh, those who still have bandwidth left in, uh, in your memory would do well to memorize it because the teachings of this sermon are as important, if not more important, than the creeds, the Christian creeds that we grew up reciting. Jesus, the Son of God, comes on the scene of Israel and begins his ministry by saying, Repent 
and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows us how a heart that repents and believes looks like. The central theme of the Sermon on the Mount is that there has to be a distinction between the character of a disciple of Christ and that of the world, the way followers of Jesus live and speak and behave and the world. Because God's people belong to a different kingdom, their character must be distinct. So every verse in the Sermon on the Mount is a shocking contrast between the follower of Jesus and a person without Christ or a person who only has a form of religion. You heard that it was said, but I tell you, Jesus said over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, contrast. And anytime we try to minimize this contrast or erase these differences to fit in, anytime we try to close that gap so we don't appear too distinct from the world, ironically, it has been shown that we don't reach the world. On the contrary, we lose our saltiness. When we dim our light to match the world's, we no longer dispel the darkness and we lose our purpose. You be different, Jesus said. The Sermon on the Mount is the best example of what it means to live counterculturally. And no other time in human history, humanity needed a countercultural revolution more than today. The last century in which most of us were born was a century with the most bizarre and extreme social and cultural experiments. Among them were communism and atheism and Nazism, existentialism, postmodernism. And these were some of the doctrines embraced by millions of people or shoved down the throats of other millions. And the consequences of these social experiments were utter misery and tears and suffering without equal in human history. Growing up, I was part of the communist experiment in my country. But I remember my parents telling me that it started all of it is started with so much enthusiasm. There was so much fun to go to communist rallies. But it didn't take long before the prisons filled with political dissidents and Christians who didn't quite agree with them. The rationed food, the censored media, the um, secret police blasted irreversibly the dreams of the most enthusiastic communists. The communist heaven was the biggest myth and lie thrown over the minds of people. That was what I experienced on the other side of the Iron Curtain. But on this side of the Iron Curtain, the same generation experienced something else, the American dream. And then the 60s came and the 70s, and we know the disillusion and unrest that they brought. And very few people today still believe blindly in the American dream in its original form. 
In Asia, in many places, peace is still maintained with threats and guns. In Africa, whole groups of people are exterminated just because they dare to speak their mother's tongue. In South Africa, they, in South America, the favelas or the, the slums of the uprooted people who live outside the big cities are all realities that dispel the optimism we once had that maybe, just maybe, education or technology or medicine or the League of Nations will somehow provide a solution for our planet. All of these left us disillusioned because we cannot rise above our human condition. Our highest ideologies and hopes for the world cannot survive the impact with reality because the human heart, the Bible says, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Unless something radical happens to us that changes us from the inside, unless we embrace the Sermon on the Mount as God's alternative for our generation, the heaven's answer for humanity's need, we will without a doubt embrace something, and that will most likely be the sermons and the ideologies of this world, unless we open ourselves to the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount to live them in our family, to live them in our community, to live them in the church, to live them when no one is watching. We may be left alone to believe a lie. And Jesus says that we may find ourselves at the end of our lives, realizing that we built our house upon the sand. In this cultural and spiritual mire, we need a counterculture. We need to hear afresh the message of the Sermon on the Mount, the message of the Son of God. So let's just watch. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. years ago, some of you may remember a film called It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Four times even made it to our country. 
And if you remember, all the characters in that movie were trying desperately to get their hands on a lost briefcase that contained a large sum of money. And they were willing to do anything to find that briefcase because they wanted it for themselves, each one of them. And it's a funny movie, it's a comedy, but it's also a movie that is very illustrative of the way the world is today. When we look around us, what we see is similarly desperate people trying to get their hands on something that is certain, something that can offer them the guarantee of a better future. And because of this frenzy and because of this desperation, so many today are overworked, stressed, anxious, full of worry, and so many suffer from panic attacks and panic disorders. And this is what I would like to talk about today. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, every verse is a priceless treasure of truth that should be memorized, studied, and implemented with God's help. But today, I would like us to stop and look at these words of Jesus. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will wear. Are these teachings realistic for us today in 2023? Can these ethics of the kingdom of God really be lived out? Or should we just admire them from afar as ideas that can never be reached? While we sigh helplessly because we know that we cannot follow them. Goethe one of the greatest observers of human condition looked at life and he tried to figure out what causes people to live the way they live. What drives them to do what they do and to make the decisions that they make. And he concluded that what fuels the engine of people's life is worry. Worry for their food, worry for their place to live, for their health, losing a job, the economy, wars, worrying for themselves and worrying for their family. Worry, he says, is the engine, the locomotive of people's lives. And many of the decisions that the people make are attempts to alleviate some of that worry and uncertainty in their lives. It is possible that no other generation that ever lived was as stressed and as anxious and with so many types of fears as our generation. Even though we live in the most uh, prosperous generation with the most resources and opportunities for success, our generation is the most anxious and ridden by all kinds of fears. People fear tomorrow because nothing is certain. Everything that we thought could offer us assurance can disappear in a moment. Today you thought that you had a, a health like a horse, and tomorrow you find out you have a terminal illness. And all these cause us to, to worry and to fear and to wonder, what is going to happen to me? What is going to happen to my family? And in the midst of this madness, we just learn to control and manage our fears and our worries without ever being truly free of them. In this mad, mad world, what do we do with the words of Jesus? 
that say, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. Come to me and I will teach you not how to manage your fears. I will teach you how to abandon once and for all your worry and anxiety. Is this a realistic promise? The writer of Proverbs says that anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. So many of us walk around with hearts that are weighed down. Even though studies show that 90% of all worries and anxieties are unfounded, unnecessary preoccupations and a waste of emotion, we worry. Even though we know that worry will not change the past, it will not improve the future, but it will only steal the joy and the peace from our present, we still worry. Worry is our attempt to control the uncontrollable and stay in charge of every detail of our lives. Control which only God should have. In this world, Jesus says, you will have tribulations. It's a given. Don't be surprised. We will have problems. As long as we live in this valley of the shadow of death, disappointments, persecutions, should not shock us. But in the midst of these problems, Jesus says, I give you my peace, not as the world gives it. So your hearts will not be troubled, anxious, fearful. When we read the Bible, worry is an anomaly for a child of God. So then why do we still worry? And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that worry is the result of a limited understanding of who God is. When Jesus taught his disciples and the multitudes and said, do not worry, what he said was, have you not eyes to see the laws of God? Have you ever thought about God's provision for the birds? That God knows even when their blood sugar drops and they need to eat? And he provides for them the insects and the seeds and and the carcass to eat because not all birds eat the same thing. And God knows their preferred diet. And he gives it to them, Jesus says, generously. Then look at the lilies. They don't weave or sew, but your fathers in heaven clothes them even though they are here today and gone tomorrow. Have you been to Longwood Gardens or a botanical garden? So much beauty that God put in something that lives such a short life, a flower. Why did God waste so much beauty and detail on a flower? Like a tulip that lives only a few hours after you cut it. I don't know why, but apparently God cares how they look. Are we not more valuable than them? Will God not dress us and provide for us in whom he put his own spirit? Worry shows our limited understanding about God's character and his power to provide for us. So what's the solution? If we want to get rid of worry, the solution is to take God's word and learn everything that it has to teach us about God's character, about God's reputation in the past, about his heart, 
how he worked in other people's lives. I know the cure for much of my worry has been the book of Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And I read this psalm, and I meditate on it, and I ask myself, what does it mean? What does it mean to me? And what does it say about God? And then I claim that as God's truth for my situation. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. And I think if God holds this universe in his hand, is he not able to hold me and to hold my family in his hands? Psalm 104, O Lord, you make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast in the field from your lofty abode. You water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. We live in God's world. And if this is what the Lord does for the creation, will he not do the same? The same. And more for us, the crowning glory of his creation. Do we believe that? Jesus says when we worry, we show little understanding about who God is as a provider, as a father, how much he loves us and he thinks about us constantly. When Jesus says, do not worry, he says, you are not orphans. Having to fend for yourselves, you belong to a father in heaven who loves you and provides for you. How would you feel if your six-year-old came to you with dark circles around her eyes, unable to sleep because she didn't know if she had enough food for tomorrow, or if she had enough money in her piggy bank to pay the electric bill. Wouldn't you say, child, don't worry. I'm in charge of taking care of those things and I'm in charge of taking care of you. But what if your daughter or your son comes to you and looks up and says, but daddy, I don't know if I can trust you. Won't that be offensive to you? Children are happy because they don't worry. They know that they have a parent in heaven, who, a parent who cares about them and provides for them. And this is what Jesus wants to teach us in the Sermon on the Mount. The Gentiles, he says, the people who don't know God should worry. They really should because they have no father in heaven. They have a God who created them, but not a father. The Bible says that the father of the unbelievers is the devil. And he does not give his children anything. He gives them no assurance, no provision, no protection, no hope. Unbelievers don't have a good father. So Jesus says that's why they worry. They're stressed, they strive, so they can have some security for tomorrow. But you're different. 
your father is in heaven and he knows what you need before you ask. He's the father of lights from whom every good and perfect gift comes down. There was a time when we were not part of God's family, the Bible says. When we were strangers in the house of God and had no claim to God's promises and God's protection and assurance, then we had reasons to worry. But now the Bible says he is our peace. And that peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this word guard is a military term, meaning that the peace of God will garrison your hearts and your minds. It will will be like a fortress built around your mind and your heart. And when the whole world goes mad, 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 Christ will put his peace as a defense system to protect your mind and your heart. The problems may not go away, but the peace of God will stabilize you and will guard you and will infuse you with the joy of the Lord. That will make no sense for anyone looking at your situation. So I would like to challenge you, not as one who has mastered this in any way, but as one who's still learning. When you are worried, read the scripture. Draw near to God. Make a list of God's traits, character traits that you find in there, and then ask yourself, do I honestly believe this? That he's an ever-present help in trouble, long-suffering, A God who doesn't get tired, forgiving, who daily bears our burdens. And then come before the Lord and remind him of his character. Tell him that you want him to guard your heart and your mind. The Sermon on the Mount teaches us how to live as sons and daughters of a good and loving father. And how to have peace in a mad, mad world. And I know that in a group like this, there are at least some who struggle with deep anxieties and excessive worry and fears, or have loved ones who do, and there's no shame in that. As we heard some of the testimonies in the past, pain and anxiety and and depression come to many of us in many different forms and have led some to want to even take their own lives. And as a former nurse in a juvenile hospital, and as a pastor, I learned from people that attempted suicide that when it came down to it, they didn't really want to die. They just didn't know how to live. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us how to live as sons and daughters of a father who loves and cares for us. We are not abandoned children in the universe who bang their heads against the walls like those children you see in orphanages in China and Romania because no one cares for them. They bang their heads against the walls to numb that pain. We are not abandoned children. Jesus says we have a Father in heaven who gives us our daily bread and peace in a crazy world. We can come to him with our darker sins, our biggest worries, And he will still love us and help us. 
Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.